Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Alrighty. Are you ready for some fun in 12-14? That's where we left off. So... God had a law that said, David, if you do what you do, I'm taking you out. But God didn't because his love is greater than, than the law. God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving witness, rebellion, and sin. Now that's really good news for us because if and when we sin, God does not cut us off. If we have the, the, the sincere heart, the, the true intention, a, a right repentance... That's all God's looking for. And the slate is wiped clean, and the good news is God remembers it no more. Now, all that leads us into verse 14. So immediately after genuine repentance comes merciful forgiveness. And yet immediately after merciful repentance comes the consequence of the sin. Now, why well, I saved this for this week, because this is going to take a while. I mean, I, I, this is vitally necessary information theology we need to, to understand. Sin that has been forgiven and forgotten by God, nonetheless, will still leave human scars. So God is saying, I forgive you, but I'm not going to put a magic spell on everybody and have them forget what, what you did. I mean, there are consequences, there are outcomes for that that you have started. I'm not going to stop that. Much the same as I didn't make you do it to start with. So what this says about God, he's the same today, is that God is not going to manipulate us. God is not going to treat us like puppets on a string. And God isn't going to do those things for us, good or bad. So there's not the, the, the direct punishment but there's also not the direct, I'm going to change everything just to make it for you. <laughs> right? So when we choose to sin, yes, forgiven by God, we're good to go, heaven bound. But the last days, weeks, months, and years you have on this earth might be really crappy. <laughs> Sorry. You get a chain of events going, and unfortunately what we see with David is we have a long series of bad choices he's going to make. Bathsheba was just the beginning. But the steamroller just keeps going and going, and things are really going to get ugly. So make sure you read verse 14 correctly. God is not saying that somebody has to pay for this sin. And since I like you, David, then I'll put the penalty on this child who's not yet born. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, somebody's got to pay the price here. Since I like you, David, I'll excuse you, but I'll stick it on somebody I don't like. Again, God does not work that way. I'll stop there. Anybody want to say anything? I mean, let's, yeah, I want to make sure you understand this. Because this is this is because what we have is you know, certainly the Jews are an incredibly cause and effect group of people. <laughs> If something happens, it's because you did something. Job, his friends come to him and literally say, what did you do? What did you do to irritate God so bad that he is doing, that God is directly doing this to you? Make sure your roof collapses, kills your kids. You know, you're sitting here with boils all over your body. You know, what did you do? Obviously, it's the worst thing that's ever happened because we've never seen anybody punished this bad by God. But you see, what we're talking now is not punishment in that sense. We equate punishment with a, a direct you know, parent-to-child punishment. This is your punishment. You're grounded, you, 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 you get a paddling, you go sit in the corner, you do something. There's a punishment. When God says punishment, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, I'm going to get you, darling. Right? That's not what he's saying. In fact, the punishment is God steps aside a little bit and allows you to 
continue to do what evil you're going to do. God, God will allow us to do that. So what this means is that since David has chosen to reject God and go his own way, that puts into motion a whole new series of events that simply God is not going to stop. If God stops it for David, he's the same today, he'll probably stop it for Gary. Probably not Peggy, but he will for Gary. <laughs> so, but you see, what this reveals is the consistency of God. You don't want an arbitrary God. You don't want God that, you know, saves Gary's bacon and then Peggy said, well, why doesn't he like me as much as he likes Gary, right? That would put you over the edge. Gary, you'd think this is pretty cool. You'll be doing your happy dance. Peggy, you're going to say, <laughs> forget you, God, right? Wouldn't that be? So God is not that way. But unfortunately, the Jews believe that, and, and that, that has trickled into our culture, that many people believe that. So if you're, if you're rich, God really likes you. If you're poor, God's mad at you. It continues on. God does not work that way. Now, by the words on the page do make it sound like this is God's fault. But you need to understand, in the Jewish understanding of things, everything is God's fault. <laughs> right? God created everything and made it gives us free will. God so if if you look at this from a Jewish perspective, David could easily blame God for this because you gave me free will and you made her beautiful. Or very beautiful, right? What could I do, <laughs> right? So ultimately, everything is God's fault. Uh, we 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 learned that years ago in in Exodus, where uh, Pharaoh, you know, rejects Moses ten times, but five times, exactly fifty percent. Did the math on me. Exactly half of the time, it directly says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The other five times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It's, it's both. Pharaoh, God, it's God's fault because God allowed Pharaoh to harden his heart. So we can't point the finger at God and say, this is all your fault. I wouldn't try that, but you could. <laughs> you won't get very far with it, but you know that's, that's how these people looked, looked at it. So this cause and effect God is the way they saw God working, but God keeps trying to break through that and say, that's not who I am. He's doing it in the Old Testament. He does it in the New Testament. I don't operate that way. So in the Jewish mindset, if you make a lot of money and you have at least one son to carry on your name, you're in with God. If you don't, what have you done? What have you done? <sighs> the black cloud over your head, Justin, is just <laughs> palatable. What have you done? So if you compound that with some health issues, you know, I just you see, I mean, just the, the outward appearance of somebody, you can easily tell who God is mad at and who isn't. That's bad. That's a bad read of God. But worse yet, means that since God is mad at Peggy, we have to be mad at Peggy too. Well, God's mad at you. I don't want to get in the way of that. If, he, if, he's, if he's mad at you, then we need to pile it on. Right? I mean, that's the understanding of That's how they operated. That's, it just made sense. It, it does kind of make sense. This cause and effect God. So uh, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, I mean, that's what she lived with. Pregnant out of wedlock? Oh, doesn't get any more taboo than that. I mean, tell anybody you want. You know, it, was, it was God who made me pregnant. Go ahead and try. <laughs> that's that's not going to fly real good. So yeah, I mean, so she literally had this stigma on her for the rest of her life. All the people we know, thirty, forty years later, it doesn't matter. You did that back then. So it, it just creates all of that that guilt, all that 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 lack of forgiveness attitude. 
We won't forgive you because obviously God's not forgiving you. So when these things start to happen to David, we need to be very clear that it's not God, the puppet master, making these things happen. We keep, you keep reading here and read carefully and you'll discover that David is making a lot of really bad decisions. We're talking, help me out with this math here, three and two and four. That's how much? Nine. Nine. <laughs> I can't fill out a deposit slip. So, <laughs> so for at least in nine years, we're going to cover nine years over the next couple chapters and you will not see David making one good decision. After all those good ones, guys. Precisely. But fortunately, by chapter 20, sorry, it's going to be a while, until chapter 20, we're going to see it, see it come back around. When it gets finally to life and death, David comes into his right mind and, and he, he, he gets it back together again. But there's a, at least a nine-year period. But things are bad. And unfortunately, it's a nine-year period when his children are small and they're formative years. So he set a really bad example for them, and is it any wonder then the kids grow up bad, and one of them is going to try and kill them and all kinds of fun stuff. So strap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild ride. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the answer to the question of, you know, the cause and effect question is answered with one story from Jesus. Parents, the, the, the Pharisees bring a lame child to Jesus. Don't ask Jesus to fix the kid. They come with one agenda. Whose fault is this? They offer the answers. Is it the parents or the kid? So the, the kid was you know, sinning in the womb. <laughs> so, I mean, rule that one out, then you would have to conclude it's the parents. Which is the same as this story. Parents sin, child pays the price. And Jesus answers, it's nobody's fault. In other words, this stuff happens. It, it could be the result of you know, parents making bad choices. And then just the natural physiology of things. I mean, if the, if the mother's smoking two pack of cigarettes a day, drinking a bottle of vodka, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, doing a couple lines of cocaine every day, um, and the child has birth defects, we we would not wonder about that. We 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 wouldn't say God's getting even, right? It's just how could that not happen? But by the same token, people smoke a couple pack of cigarettes a day and never get lung cancer, and somebody who doesn't smoke at all gets lung cancer. See, there, there's no cause, and there's no rhyme or reason to this. And it's incredibly arrogant and stupid on our part to try and connect those dots. Now that works when somebody's sick, when somebody dies, don't ever walk up to somebody you know, that just lost a loved one and say, well, heaven needed another angel. Well, what kind of God is just you know, arbitrarily picking people, including you know, my child? What kind of stupid God is this? Because it's not true. God doesn't work that way. But that thought is out there. Man, is it out there. Now, God's not making this stuff happen. Yes, God could prevent it from happening. But if he's not going to do the one, he can't do the other. You see, this is the nature of God. This is, this is who God is. So he's, he's, you, you can't allow something to happen with some people and then prevent it from happening with other people. Sin is sin, and there are consequences to that. The child is simply a helpless victim in this. Much like an automobile accident or any other natural disaster or anything. Because, you, I mean, that line of thought, once you get going on that line of thought, the cause and effect God, then immediately you go to natural disasters. You know, why did God make that happen? 
Why did Katrina hit the United States? Why not, you know, France? We could do without them, right? You know, see, we, we start, we, we become judge and jury ourselves. We, we, we put ourselves in God's position, trying to figure out, you know, why these things are happening. And when they don't happen the way we want them to happen, we get really mad and upset and shake our fist at God. So we can't get started in that. Now, David doesn't, but something happens to David in, in, in this process. This, this child dying is, is a big deal. So if God prevented that child from dying, since it's the natural order of things, then that means we no longer have free will. I mean, everybody has free will or you don't. I mean, you can't, you know, Gary has free will and Peggy doesn't. Or vice versa. That'd be, that can't be. So it has to be all one or all the other. So, you, you see, when you start following that through logically, then it even leads you to the discussion of, you know, well, I prayed and this person still died. So, what are you saying? You're saying your prayers are, are enough to, to change God's mind about something? When God is saying this, this is the way this needs to be? And besides that, if you had that power, nobody you loved would ever die? Oh, we'd be paying cash money to you, right? Holy cow. If you had the power to keep people from dying, do you think Bill Gates, number two richest man in the world? Right? Overnight. So, when you follow it through, it, it, it really does not make any sense at all. It gets ridiculous. So don't get started on that path. David chose to neglect God, reject God, for a short time. Made a couple really bad decisions. But yet... God forgave him because he asked to be forgiven. But God says, through Nathan, there's going to be a series of events happening. He even says, the sword will never leave your house. The son's death is just the first consequence of David's sin. It's not the baby's fault. The baby is just something that happened. It's not David's punishment that this baby would die. Hopefully this helps you understand why David is forgiven, but at the same time the child still dies. Are you going to break into small groups and discuss or what? Some would like to say something. Good. Texas Bible calls it irreversible consequence. Right. You simply set, set into motion... Yeah. Yeah. Much like yeah, you know, if I pick pick that spoon up, and I'm going to drop it, but in the middle of that, I'm going to pray to God to catch it. There is no God. A lot of people do that, right? Interestingly, the devil tried to get Jesus to do that. Throw yourself off of the top of the temple. And the angels will come and catch you. Yeah, they will. <laughs> but I'm not going to extort God to do that, right? That's not, that's not what I'm, yeah, that's not living faithfully. Yeah. Other thoughts? Verse 20. Notice what David does after the child dies. He goes to worship. Again, a crisis reveals one's true character. The discussion in verses 20 to 23 is because the custom of the day was that you mourn for seven days after a death. That was the prescribed period. Do we not have prescribed periods today? If somebody gets married too fast after a spouse dies, don't we look at them and say, well, that's a little, a little too, too early. Yeah, we just have numbers in our head that this is the way it's supposed to be. In that culture, it was seven days. Seven days wear black, cry, 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 cry. Then the eighth day, you just turn it off like a light switch. <laughs> no, seriously, that's what they did. Just, wow. 
And if enough people d don't show up to the funeral, you actually pay people to be professional mourners. Boy, can they cry. Best actors and actresses you've ever seen. Now, go to verse 18. Verse 18 says that David had already been mourning seven days. The child lived for seven days. And he was mourning because the child was obviously going to die. He was mourning all seven days. Therefore, David is declaring that the period of mourning is over. I've already done that. I've already accepted the fact from birth that this child is going to die. And so David says, will, will my, yeah, what he means is, will my ongoing mourning, will another, another seven days of mourning bring my child back? Of course not. I've already done the mourning. I, I have no more tears. So David comforts his wife. She conceives again. And dun-dun-dun, gives birth to Solomon. Who, like David, will become great. I'm going to wipe a few other kids out first. Verse 25. The Lord sends Nathan again. This time, it's not for judgment, but instead to reassure David of his love for him and for Solomon. Solomon's other name is Jedidiah, which means loved by God. <coughs> That's a pretty good name. But notice the word sent. Remember I pointed out last week, what, 20, 23 times in a couple chapters, we're going to come over, send, send. Right? Here it is again, the Lord sends Nathan. So David had been doing all the sending previously. Sending people, sending messages, sending for Bathsheba, send, 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 send. Now God's the one doing all the sending. Nathan, go and comfort David. Now, the crisis reveals David's true character. This event also reveals God's true character. God does not hold a grudge for repented sin. I didn't hear any sighs. Why are you not sighing? This is some of the best news you've ever heard. <sighs> God does not hold a grudge. He remember. He literally remembers it no more. He doesn't bring it up against you, or it doesn't change his his love for you. Some great news. God truly forgives and forgets. Now we have a little trouble with that, don't we? Yeah. God forgives and forgets, but God is not going to change the series of events that that sin or that multiple sin produced. David has set into motion a series of unpleasant events because he chose to disobey God. Starting in verse 26 and to the end, this is the final battle. Joab has done all the work without David doing anything. Remember, David stayed home. Joab sends a message to David to either get his butt in the battle and the siege that they're putting around the city, or Joab is going to claim the city for himself. David shows up. <laughs> and, and takes credit for the spoils of war, even though he did nothing to earn them. David steals the credit for Joab's work, just the same as he stole Uriah's wife. See? Another bad choice. I mean, he could have showed up and supported the troops. Um, yeah, patted Joab on the back, said, good job. Take whatever you want, buddy. But David shows up and claims it. See, that's what God said the king, king would, in fact, do. Not good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. You, all right, Gary, you're, you're, you're in charge of the strikes. <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll try and point them out to you here. But it's, uh, and a lot of the strikes from here on out are simple neglect of not doing the right thing. It's not doing anything bad. It's just not doing anything when the opportunity presents itself. You see, sin works both ways. It's not just the bad thing. It's not doing the good thing. And David now for the next nine years is going to not do the good thing. Uh, it's almost like he's in a, in a trance or something. Uh, he just... Seems very, very depressed. There's chapter 12. Other thoughts, questions, comments on chapter 12. I guess one, one more thought on forgiveness. Jesus says that 
immediately after teaching us the Lord's Prayer, which we ask God to forgive us as we forgive others, remember? Jesus comments and says, unless you forgive others, God will not forgive you. Now, the only way I know how to handle that is to practice it. Do you not have opportunity to practice forgiveness? Or is everybody just so sweet and wonderful to you every day of your life? Right? You'd be the only one. So we have lots of practice with this if we will take advantage of it. So this, what God is doing with David, that's it. You forgive and you forget. In other words, you do not hold that sin, that disappointment, that whatever it is that, that hurt you, you do not hold that against the other person. That's what forgiveness is. No, it really doesn't. Although it might be therapeutic and helpful to tell the other person. It might make things worse. Uh, don't. Uh, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, it never works well to walk up to a person and say, I, I have forgiven you. People hate that. <laughs> like, who are you? The arbiter of, of forgiveness? You know, holier than that? You know, they just, blah. It always goes bad. You know, so try something else, kind of <laughs> come in the back door on that. Uh, might start by bring, bringing up, you know, we, we've had this problem for days, weeks, months, years, whatever, and uh, I, I've just gotten to a point in my life that I'm no longer going to carry carry this this anger, this this hurt, this whatever we have amongst ourselves. Uh, I'm letting go and letting God. So I have chosen to 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 forgive you in, in in the midst of that, and you get to do whatever you want. But that's that's my my choice because it, it, forgiveness does not have to be a two way street. You can forgive, and the other person would never even know it. That's right. Like that exactly. Yeah, you have to love them, but you don't have to like them, right? Because it, that other person still might be a jerk. Yeah. What are you gonna say, Gary? Instead of walking up and telling them to forgive them, just try kindness. Yeah. Just, just be kind to them. You know, yep. Your, in your heart, you forgive them, but you yep. verbally express it. You know. There, there might well be value in the expression, though. You see, yeah, we're. No, if I step on your foot, I'll say I'm sorry, and you, you'll probably say, oh, that's okay. You're really saying, I forgive you. You, you hurt me. But you know, we're almost afraid to use the word. But we need to keep in mind that you know, the love comes in, in, our word for English in love, we only have one, so it, it covers a multitude of expressions of love. But the specific expression of love God chose to express to us in Jesus is precisely forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Good. But if I'm mad at you and you're mad at me mm -hmm. and I forgive you, you will see that I've forgiven you. Just by, by not being angry with you. or Which, by definition, is going to change my approach. So, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to beat somebody up who's just standing there defenseless. Because you're going to look like a total jerk. You will know that yourself. I mean, in others, you certainly don't want to look that bad to others. Why am I beating up on this helpless person? So that's why Jesus says, turn the other cheek. It's very effective. Now, you ladies don't understand that. Guys, we do. Seriously. I mean, because we're, we're taught to make, make the fist and, you know, work it out with the fist. And, you know, so it's a real learning curve for us to... And that's why Jesus, you know, actually is talking to guys when he's saying it. I mean, this is this is what you do. This is how you handle it. And uh, it's it's it, it's an entirely new way. But forgiveness is huge. It's the most powerful word we have. Remember. So if you, it, so if you really are, if something has happened to you, and you're maybe praying for that person, because mm -hmm. you really truly, in your heart, want to forgive them, but you cannot forget what they've done yet during that process. Are you really not forgiving them? It is a process. So, yeah, we're not quite as good as God. God can just blank it out. Right. But you and I, yeah, we, we often have, have that lingering thing. But yeah, as I guess I, I'm speaking from personal experience that I have... I have learned how to how to do this. I, I've seen the value of this, and I've had <laughs> a lot of practice in churches, <laughs> you know, with people that just I just soon kill than than forgive. But 
I got to forgive them. So, but it, it, it's amazing how, like Peggy said, how that changes the dynamic. Because you get two people just always at each other. Well, you know what that's going to result in? Everything you've already had. So the only thing that's going to change that is one of us. Well, it doesn't even require to. Just one of us to be smart enough to change that. And by definition, that's going to change the entire dynamic. Because now I got nobody to fight with. Maybe I need to change my whole outlook on things too. That works great with marriages. It works great with your boss. It works great with your kids. It works great with everybody. Somebody's got to be the, the bigger person here, the, the, the Christian person, to act like God. Remember, we're creating God's image, and we can choose to act just like God. Was he mad at David? Yeah. It actually said that. God was very mad at him. But with a true repentant heart, okay, slate clean, done, let's move on. I remember it no more. So oftentimes, we have a harder time forgiving ourselves than accepting the forgiveness from somebody else. But forgiveness, by definition, means that somebody sinned. And that's why I'm saying, don't, don't, don't open with that, Karen. <laughs> because because that, what the translation of that is, you sinned, but I'm going to be nice and forgive you. Right? And people hate that. We don't like our sin being pointed out. So... Do what God does. Send Nathan. Send somebody to tell a little parable. You are the man. Okay, <laughs> now I'll get it. <laughs> right? Alan, are you going to say something? Well, I have a confusion. Um, a couple of chapters before this, um, God had given David permission not to check with him for everything. Mm -hmm. So David stops checking. So is that why God's so angry with him making a mistake? because his, his natural response to everything up to that time was check first and wait. So now he's out on his own, basically, and he hasn't checked since then. No, he really hasn't. And that's when everything starts falling apart. So, would, I mean, that's where I'm confused. Would he have kept checking, and would he have been able to avoid this whole situation had he kept with what he had been doing, had God not given him permission not to check anymore or is that why God is so mad because he so quickly he turned down. he left him down yeah yeah I, I, I you see what I mean I think the latter because it, it, the relationship is based on trust and husbands and wives in the room is it is it good for your marriage to at least occasionally tell your spouse you love them? <laughs> yeah, we, we got our, our 20th anniversary coming up. And after 20 years, I should probably just get a pass, you know, saying, yeah, you know, I, I know. It's, you've, you've put in 20 years. You, you've done the hard work. You've, you've told me every day so far. And, you know, you don't have to do that ever again. Right? But that same, same type of thing, right? Yeah, it's... I know your heart. I, I, I know. I know you love me, but there's just something about asking or or telling in that sense that it, it keeps it going, right? So, no, honey, I'm not going to stop telling you. It's, <laughs> I was just doing a facetious example. Um, yeah, she she's not going to go away with me on her anniversary. <laughs> it's all about the trust. I trust you not to do it, but I hope that you will continue to, to do what you've always done. Say, I, 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 trust that, I trust that you will continue to do this. And so immediately David stops doing it without, with, with, without the, 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 the pressure or knowing that you know, God is not analyzing him or something, that freedom just went, like a teenager. I mean, it's just, you know, as soon as you get away from your parents, you just go, go bananas. So, yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a sense of that. Keep asking God whether you should be doing things that you learned from David in this case. That, so, uh, I think the, the, the word we're talking about now is self-discipline. God holds us accountable for self-discipline, self-control, right? For the Holy Spirit. Self. Yeah. In other words, not, not God. See, again, you, know, that, the, the, you get into the puppet master thing again, right? Knowing that, you know, I better do this or else. God wants us to, free will means free. <laughs> 
Not, not under compulsion, not, not with a gun to your head, but instead, I want to do this. I'm doing it because I want to. It's just it, it, it's my natural response to God's love in my life to do what, what God wants me to do, to make that, that free choice. I could choose not to, but the maturity comes in, in, in the faith of choosing to do the right thing. You can choose to do wrong, but again, there's, there's consequences to that. That's a deep question. My head hurts now. God gave him an inch and he took a mile. You know, there it is. You yes, thank you. You have to ask me every right. single thing, but then, come on, David, and, like, adultery isn't. And, and, and you, 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 you as smallest children right now, you, know, you will experience that precisely this with your kids. Yeah, when they start getting 14, 15, 16, and they start, you know, you don't trust me, Mom. You don't trust me, Daddy. You know, give me some freedom. Yeah, Karen's laughing her head off. Remember that? Yeah. Hopefully not precisely that way. Yeah. <laughs> precisely. But, yeah, there, there will come that time, and, and you will have to have that conversation and say, okay, I'm going to let you stay out to later than you've ever stayed before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but you know, show up a minute after that, and my wrath will be upon thee. Right? I mean, that's 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 what we do, and you continue to to work that, massage that, and deal with that. And yeah, there's highs and lows, but kids oftentimes will just run amok, and without without you. You know the vulture looking down, you know, the, the helicopter mom approach. Uh, but they have to learn sometime. So you give them a little string and you know do like the you know the one mother did. Just you know, kid wants to walk to school by himself, and you're hiding in the bushes watching him the whole way. Just don't let him see you. And it's, he thinks he's getting away with it, but I'm still watching him. You know, whatever it takes. But yeah, you know, it's we all have to learn that that freedom sometime. And again, what we've been talking about church the last couple of weeks, the, the law keeps you from doing it. It keeps you infantile. If you're motivated by law, fear of what's going to happen to me if I, if I do this thing, that's, that's not relationship. You don't want your child doing that to you. So fearful of you that you know, they're afraid to, to do anything. You want them to be free within boundaries. Right? Yeah. Question. Question away. Backing up a little bit. Okay. Statement you made. Are we wasting our time and our prayers praying for people that are ill, that we that are dying, that are ill, because we can't control the outcome? Yeah, it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. That's another great theological question. Did everybody hear that? Yeah. Why, why, why keep praying if God's going to do what God's going to do anyway? Because I, like forgiveness, it does us more good than it does God. So the goal is not, to, is not to change God. Our prayers are not designed to change God, but our prayers are designed to get us into closer relationship with God and a greater trust in God. That even if this person dies, you say you've go, you got to go that scenario. So the, the, the goal is, is not to make, to make the person well, but instead... God, what is your will in this situation? So the the, you know, the the inquiry, right? The asking that David forgot to do now for a long period of time, that's what's most critical. It's not telling God, heal grandma or else. Um, it's God, what what is your will in this situation? And for our good, not precisely. Yep. Okay, it makes sense to me. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it, yeah, again, relationship. If there's not communication, then there's no relationship. So all these situations in life, and that's why it says pray constantly, because don't we always have something going on? I mean, you don't have to just have sickness, you know, whatever, you know, knucklehead you're dealing with it at work or, you know, just anything. Just a thousand different things happen to us every day. You know, every one of them is, is worthy to be brought before God. You know, what, what should I do here, God? Good thing. But God does still do miracles all the time. Sure. But that's according to his will, not according to our prayers. We didn't make God do it. God had already planned to do that. So, yeah, there's all kinds of unexplainable things that, that happen. I mean, people get well with no reason at all. And a person in the bed right next to them has the exact same disease, dying a week. Who can figure? I mean, it makes no sense. 
But this is all part of the big picture. And again, you know, that's we have to look at it from God's perspective, not our limited focus. And when we don't get what we want, then we throw a temper tantrum. So God, God knows what He's doing. And again, I'll use the word trust. I mean, that's what, what, what our faith is. We trust God even when we don't understand it, and especially when we don't like it. So, you see, David, kid dies, first thing I do, I'm going to go worship God. That's exactly what Scripture says we're supposed to do. Exactly. You come to God. You hear a lot of people when somebody dies really close to them, that they do the exact opposite. They turn away from God. Yep. They don't want to have anything to do with God. They hate God. And because you did this to me. Yes. That cause and effect. See, that's what I'm saying. It's it's prevalent. And you guys are now the smartest people in Bedford County. You're welcome. Uh, but you see, like, but the beauty of this is now that you understand it, when you're in those funeral situations, when you're at the bedside of somebody dying, when when you're in one of these these terrible situations with you know kids run amok and, and the parents are just wringing their hands and don't know what to do, you see how you can be the light and the hope to share this this truth. People just make bad decisions. It's not your fault. You didn't make your, your kid decide to, to do whatever they did. You're acting just like God. You gave them the freedom to make the choice themselves. Otherwise, you're going to lock them in a prison so you can monitor everything they're doing. Those are your only two choices. Either stunt them completely or eventually give them total freedom. God gives us total freedom. Not today or tomorrow, especially with Lily. We'll wait a few days, but you know, it's it's coming. It's coming. So, but yeah, prayer, prayer is for our benefit, not 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 for God's, because that's that's how we 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 communicate. So I mean, but you've all had you know really good friends in high school, college. Oh, we will always stay in communication with each other, right? Well, 30, 40 years later, how's that going for you? Right? I mean, the, the, the incidence of, of the communication st just starts trailing off, doesn't it? Till now, it's, it's to a point that you, I mean, you still know each other. You still, if you were in the same room together, you would buddy up together. But it, it, the relationship is greatly diminished. That's what happens when we don't communicate. When we don't, when we don't pray, that's our communication with God. So the nature of prayer is that we, we, we communicate with God. So the, the order of prayer is really important as well. You really got me going now, Terry. Um, are you familiar, familiar with ACTS, A-C-T-S? That's the, the, the acronym for, for prayer. So the, the, our prayers generally, most of the time, maybe all the time, should begin with A, adoration. Adoring God. God, you're so cool. You're an awesome dude. Right? Yeah. So, adore God. C is confession. Crap. My sin. See? You haven't asked God for anything yet, you see? But it's communication. Wouldn't it be nice to have a relationship like that? So your homework assignment is, you, know, you guys practice acts on me this week. You come into my office and you adore me. <laughs> and then you confess everything you've done bad to me. So let me get this straight. We're not going to act this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. No, acts is like, when you tell kids the book of acts in the Bible, that's what the first thing they think of is, why is, there, why is there a book with axes in it? That just doesn't make any sense. So you adore God, you confess to God. T is, oh, the actual word, I know what I'm trying to say, but the, what, what's the T stand for? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, thank you. I was, uh, the, the, the next one throws me. So then you thank God for everything. It's a scripture, thank God for everything. So David is going to worship God and thank God for this child dying. Because God is God. And especially when you don't like it, you thank God for it anyway. Then finally the S. 
The old-fashioned word is supplication. Is is ask the asking of God. God, will you will you do this? Or what do you want me to do? Will you, the, the inquiry, I guess, would be the, the best way to describe that. Not necessarily asking God to do anything, but just asking God, what do, what do you want in this situation? But the first three are directed to God. Only the last one is actually from us. But a, a prayer life based on that, on a daily basis, you'll you'll become a lot more like David before you know it. Not with old Bathsheba thing, but the, you know, the, the earlier stuff when he was in fact inquiring of God. You see, that's 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 what it results in. Good. Doesn't Aaron have kind of a simplified version of that? Um, where we pray at night, they call it path prayer. Path. Path. Uh huh. So the first part is praise. Apologize for the things you've done. You thank God for the things you've done well today. And then you ask help. Help. Yeah. Now, I couldn't figure out where the H was going. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's what the Boy Scouts teach. Because they, they each have their religion. That was what came out of that. And, and, and now I can't remember Acts now. I remember Path. Right, exactly. <laughs> We've been retrained. But, but, but yeah, the image of a path is just awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's the path we need to be on. Yeah, precisely. That's cool. Awesome. It's a path. And. <laughs> Any other thoughts on 12? Told you it was a big one. Yeah. I noticed that, um, like in verse 24, when Solomon was born, that Nathan was sent again. And it appears like God's not having communication necessarily with David at this point. Where before it was David just asked and he and God would talk. And now every time God's telling David something, I'm, I'm going to send somebody to tell you. I, mean, I, you know, I don't know if that's... I think it's a distinction what Alan was saying. That since there isn't the personal inquiry, God nonetheless is going to send somebody anyway. So here's your big brother. <laughs> I'll smack you up alongside the head and make you do it, right? You're so not, you're not listening to me, so yes, else will. right. So maybe a human voice you will you will listen to, but that gets old after a while, and God's not going to do that all the time, because if we're not smart enough to get it eventually, then it's going to be butt prints in the sand, right? I carried you all this time, and one of those strange marks. Well, it's your butt. I dropped you, right? So that's the second version of footprints in the sand. I like the second one better. <laughs> it's really true. Ready for chapter 13? Let's give it a try. <coughs> now do you understand why our author pointed out a while back that David was falling into sin by having too many wives and girlfriends? This is what it results in. With multiple wives having a bunch of kids, this is going to create issues. So you have a whole bunch of half-siblings <coughs> vying for daddy's attention. This is going to get ugly. The sin of David's son Amnon is really not very different than what David himself did. Like father, like son. So as the story progresses, we discover that although Amnon says that he loves his half-sister, it's nothing more than lust. Again, just like his father. In verse 13, Tamar, the half-sister, actually pleads with Amnon to talk to David so that Amnon can marry her. That wouldn't be nearly as bad as being raped. She's actually saying, you know, let's hang on. We get married in a week. Just hold off a little bit. <coughs> and offers that as a viable option. But no, he doesn't. Now verse 3, Amnon's pretty bad. But my way of thinking, the real villain in this is his, his friend Jonadab. He is the one who suggests all this evil plan. And Amnon didn't come up with it. His friend suggested it to him. Now he's identified as a nephew of David. And that's a cousin of Amnon. But he's referred to as a friend. So the, the, the breakdown of this family is spreading out further now. It's not just my kids. Now it's extending out further. You see how it's 
falling apart. Now, Tamar is a virtuous woman. She pleads with Amnon not to do this. It even says, don't force me. She even tells him that if he goes through with this rape, that both their lives will be ruined. The end result, verse 20, Tamar is a desolate woman living in her brother Absalom's house. What is so odd about all this is that immediately after the rape, Amnon hates her even more than he ever loved her. Now that's bizarre. This guy's something really wrong with him. Now after the rape, Tamar tears her robe, and that robe was kind of, kind of like a, a, a Joseph's amazing technicolor dream coat that you know, father gave to him that identified him as, well, you're the special one. By the way, parents don't do that. Uh, but this, this was a robe that, that virgins wore to announce, I'm a virgin, thus available for marriage. So she tears her robe because technically she is no longer. Upon finding out David is furious, check, check this one off, Gary. Another strike. He does nothing about it. That's three, right? He's out and he's going to be more out here pretty soon. Now, we can speculate all day long why David doesn't do anything, but it certainly factored into this is the simple fact that David is looking at what his son has done and realizes, I pretty much did the same thing. So, it's kind of hard to reprimand, chastise, punish a child for something you yourself are committing. So, his response, I'll do nothing. Not a good response. David becomes a silent, passive sufferer through the rest of this entire narrative. He does nothing. Absalom, however, nurses his hatred of his half-brother and obviously begins a way to plot to kill him. This starts escalating. So Absalom is very patient. He plans for two years. David obviously is an overindulgent father and allows Absalom to manipulate him into getting what he wants. Now, after that had happened, you think Daddy would be a little sensitive to the fact that when Absalom's asking for to be alone with the one who raped his sister, that that might not be a good situation. That David, now please go ahead, son. So it's absolutely incredible. <clears throat> but now the real twist that we don't find out till till really later. But I'll let you in on the secret now. Amnon is the eldest son. And thus the next in line for the throne. Dun, dun, dun. So Absalom kills Amnon and thus opens the way for him to be the next king. So we can assume that, that perhaps the real motive was not 100% revenge of his sister's rape, but rather political gain. We've got to make a pretty strong case for that because the next couple chapters, that's what it's about. It's no longer about a rape. It's about gaining political power. But remember again what God told Nathan to tell David. The sword will never depart from your house. And here we go. In verses 37 to 39, just a couple verses, three years pass. Absalom goes into hiding and stays under the protection of his grandfather on his mother's side. And in that period, David is incapable of administering justice in his own family. And Absalom is unable to return home. But in this three-year period, David prepares himself for reconciliation with Absalom. So chapter 13 is just a quick little story like that. Any thoughts, questions on chapter 13? Next couple seconds on chapter 14. Hang on, Gary. I might be able to do this before we, before we quit. I'm that good. Why do you doubt? <laughs> So take note that the woman from Tekoa tells a parable that is very similar to the parable that Nathan told David. And we realize that Joab is behind the entire plot. 
In both parables, David incriminates himself because he can't see that the story is really about him. Both times. Look, look at verse 1. The story starts with David's heart longing for Absalom. At least part of this longing is that Absalom is the crown prince of his, uh, you know, the next in line. And if something were to happen to David, him being out of Jerusalem is going to create a very rough transition of power. So we've got to get Absalom back to Jerusalem. But David just sits on the throne and longs for his son. Gary, it's got to be another strike. He does nothing. Sitting there whining about, oh, my son Absalom is so far away. I wish I could see him. Well, get off the throne and do something. You've sent all these messengers before. Send a messenger to him for crying out loud. Or go yourself. Go do something. Quit whining about it. But he does nothing. Joab sees that the king's heart is broken and decides again to intervene. He devises a scheme to get David to bring Absalom home. Now, Tekoa is 10 miles south of Jerusalem. So Joab figures finding somebody in that town is far enough away from Jerusalem that there's a good chance David doesn't know who she is. We've got to do this all anonymously. So, so far, David has been unwilling to execute any royal justice at all in, in this, this rape and now murder. David just will not discipline his kids. So the story now offers David the opportunity to see the right thing to do and offer him the ability to do it. So the story does work. It really does get to David. Now we're going to soon discover that Job's plan is really a huge mistake. We don't want Absalom back. He has political gain that he wants. Because Absalom comes back, but he does not repent and now only wants to sit on the throne. Absalom returns home, but notice the time frame. Two years pass, and David and Absalom are still not together. They've not spoken. He's back in town, but David still won't get off the throne and go see him. And even then, when he finally does, David does nothing about disciplining his son. So Absalom goes unpunished, which only fuels his political aspirations. Keep reading, and we're going to realize that Absalom almost single-handedly brings down the entire house of David. It's going to be that bad. Uh, verse 25, we, we can't skip over that. Absalom is a really good-looking guy. Recall how important it was to the people when they selected Saul as king. His outward appearance is all that they needed. We're having the same thing happen now. Absalom is going to gain a lot of power with his good looks and his sweet talk. Verse 26 describes Absalom's hair. Now that's deliberate because you're going to need that information by the time we get to chapter 18. If you haven't read that for yet, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag because this is suspense. This is drama. This is at least a good soap opera. One last thought. Bottom line is that Absalom obviously built up a lot of hatred for his father in the five years that they were apart. I did the math three and two. He's really mad because his father does nothing. And again, Scripture points out very clearly that, that, that children see discipline as love. The lack of discipline means the lack of love. Absalom knows I need discipline for what I've done. And David does nothing. So in five years getting no love, that's replaced with hatred. And now the plan starts, starts brewing. And again, Joab is one of the brokers of this reunion. David does not take the initiative. Joab has to push him into it. The, verse 32. In that five years, Absalom has convinced himself that he has done nothing wrong. After five years. If I've done anything wrong, he can kill me. I've done nothing wrong. Let him put me to death. This is an incredible story of people making a lot of bad decisions. But again, the king, the father, the ruler, all those terms, when that leader does nothing, it should not surprise us when utter chaos ensues.
without leaders leading, that's what happens. Without vision, the people perish. Without somebody leading to that. Uh, one last quick thought. I kind of jumped around that. Uh, verse 7. Again, not having... The, in the story, this Tekoa woman tells, the end result is, if they kill my son, I have no... My husband has no son to carry on his name. That's the only thing she's upset about. It's not that my son dies. It's just no one can carry on, on, on our family name. See how important it is to them? It's crazy. That's what she points out. Well, there you go. I'm not officially done with you people. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.